Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Double nickel. Is that one word? We're counting that as the nothing personal word of the day. It's 55. Today is episode 55. When I see those two numbers, five is my favorite number. 55 is not. Double nickel to me reminds me only of one thing if you're a fan of the NBA. Michael Jordan's first game back at Madison Square Garden, March in the 90s, 95. All of a sudden, he's playing the Knicks, breaking my heart game after game. We made it to the finals in 94, lost to Elijah and the Rockets. He comes back and his 11th game back, 10th or 11th game back. He says, I'm going to score 55 against the Knicks wearing number 45. And he went out and did it. Then Jordan had the balls. The game was coming to a close. Goes up. I'm ready for my heart to be broken. And he passes the ball to Bill Wennington for a lay-in. Of course, we got off Wennington in order to cover the drive for Jordan and not let him get to the hole. But Jordan just crushed my heart. And it became known as the double nickel game at Madison Square Garden. So for the rest of time, people ask me, what are your top 10 most memorable games? And they assume that they're games where I was the president of a team winning the World Series. I've told everyone my number one game is when the Knicks beat the Pacers 94-90 in Game 7. But one of my top, that's in 1994 to go to the finals. One of my top memories, though, was watching from my seat as Jordan put up the double nickel. So get ready for episode number 55. We're coming in hot. Carlos Beltran has mutually parted ways with the New York Mets. That's the second day in a row. I want you to know that you have downloaded and you're watching a brand new episode of Nothing Personal. This is not a repeat of what we saw with A.J. Hinch and the Houston Astros, who was actually just fired by Jim Crane. Then Alex Cora parted ways with the Boston Red Sox amidst a very, very sad press conference. Then we talked about the fact on CBS Sports HQ, if you're watching the queue, if you're downloading, subscribing to Nothing Personal, you've heard us say Carlos Beltran could not manage the Mets. We said that the Wilpons were going to put out some trial balloons. They were going to see where the PR winds were blowing. And the PR winds blew right into Queens, and they blew right under Carlos Beltran's hat, and they blew it away, like in the movie Up. And he is up, up, and away because there was no chance the Wilpons agreed that he could manage the team. So what do you do if you're the Mets? You don't do this. They're not even doing a press conference because they saw what an embarrassment the Red Sox press conference was. So instead, they decided to do a statement. And the statement was outstanding. Tell me if you've ever read a statement like this. We met with Carlos last night and again this morning and agreed to mutually part ways. This was not an easy decision. Do you know like if you have a Google Doc and you go to what statements are when you fire a manager, all the things you say when you're being investigated or when you have a player who's gotten arrested, there's a Google Doc for all of these things. And what the Mets did is they went to the Google Doc. 
This was their moment to actually change the narrative away from being, oh, woe be gone the Mets. Oh, the Mets are always secondary to the Yankees. Oh, it's always something with the Mets. How about one time, Jeff Wilpon, take the microphone. You were right there in Port St. Lucie dedicating a street at your spring training home to Mike Piazza. Called Mike Piazza Way, of course. And you were asked about the sign-stealing scandal. You knew very well that Carlos Beltran was going to be let go and the news was going to be announced hours later. Instead, what you did is you answered the question by saying, I can't talk about that. We're here to talk about Mike Piazza only. Here's what you do. You call up Mike Piazza and the town of Port St. Lucie. You explain the circumstances and you delay the street naming either to later today or you delay it till tomorrow. You don't have to tell them why. They would certainly catch on once you make an announcement about your manager. Once you make the announcement, when you go to the Mike Piazza street naming, it would actually be about Mike Piazza. Then Jeff Wilpon ends up in New York where he should be, where he takes the microphone not just when he's on camera, like on CBS Sports HQ and everywhere else, lifting up the jersey. I'm sick and tired of owners and presidents only wanting to be there when things are good. You stand up and you take the microphone when things aren't good. And you look out at your fans and you exhibit complete control. You don't say you mutually agreed to part, to, to part ways. You don't say what a tough decision. You don't say how sad it is and that Carlos was honest and forthcoming, but we're excited about the talent, you take the microphone, you put your hands on the lectern, you go full George Bush, and you say, I am here to announce the firing of Carlos Beltran. When he was implicated in the sign-stealing scandal as a member of the Houston Astros in 2017, I knew immediately that I had made a mistake in offering Carlos Beltran the job on November 4th to become the new Mets manager. During the course of the interview process, we felt as though Carlos had the integrity and we felt as though he was the perfect person to lead our team, to lead this pitching staff, and to lead this great group of young position players to a far better record and the performance that you, the fans, deserve. When it became obvious to me that Carlos Beltran, in fact, was involved, I knew that did not represent the integrity that we shoot for every day within the Mets organization. So the decision was made by me and only me to let Carlos Beltran go. I'm going to let Brody Van Wagenen discuss what we're doing going forward, but you know very well that I will be involved in the choosing of our next manager. The one thing I want my fans to know and I want you to understand is this will not take away from the performance on the field that we expect from our players when we take the field February 17th to start spring training. We have put ourselves in a position to win. We demand performance and we look forward to delivering on that demand this coming season. Thank you. That's it. Wouldn't that have been better? One time for a baseball executive to stand up. What about Carlos Beltran? He came out with two state. You know, it's always bad. I get handed this. I work with Matthew Coker, producer here. We have great people at CBS Sports HQ. First, I get handed something that says in what looks like some sort of handwriting. I wish they would actually teach handwriting in school still, but with computers, they don't. Beltran statement. What I, you never want to see if you're working in baseball or for any sport is another piece of paper that sells Beltran statement number two. 
If you're Carlos Beltran, you knew this day was coming. You've got to be way more organized. His first statement merely parroted the Mets, almost like it was written by the Mets, saying that we have mutually agreed to part ways. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Blah, blah. Normal. I think someone then got to Beltran, maybe his agent, maybe someone who said, listen, you better start doing something to improve your position here because you may fall with the same fate as Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch in terms of their future. You know, Carlos, that you're not going to be suspended. The commissioner already said it. So you want to put yourself in a position to work again. So he said, over my 20 years in the game, I've always taken pride in being a leader and doing things the right way. And in this situation, I failed. As a veteran player on the team, I should have recognized the severity of the issue and truly regret the actions that were taken. I'm a man of faith and integrity, and what took place did not demonstrate those characteristics that are so important to me and my family. I'm very sorry. It's not who I am as a father, husband, teammate, and as an educator. The Mets organization and I mutually agreed to part ways, moving forward for the greater good, as though they studied John Stuart Mill, I think not, with no further distractions. I hope that at some point in time, I'll have the opportunity to return to this game that I love so much. That's a statement that's a full mea culpa. That's a statement that should have come. This Mets first statement is garbage that should not have been stated. Because if you're Beltran, think about back to the steroid age. Who are the players we forgave for doing steroids? Andy Pettit, Jason Giambi, the ones who stood up and said, yes, I made a mistake. I did it. We as Americans and around the world and fans in general love forgiving people. We love it. We can't stand people who try to skate and try to mislead us because there's people like CBS Sports HQ and nothing personal. We're going to go right through it. Carlos Beltran had no choice but to say, listen, I did it. I know I'm not going to be suspended. He didn't put out in the statement. He could have. I know I'm not going to be suspended because I was a player at the time, but I know that what I did was wrong. He had no choice but to wear it, and he wore it quickly. Would Should he and would he have come out right after the report came out? That would have been better, but guess why he didn't come out with the statement immediately? Come on. Pretend there's a studio audience. Guess for me. Yes, the reason is the Mets hadn't decided to fire him yet. If he had come out with that statement, it would have been the absolute end of his managerial career before it even started. So the New York Mets have fired Carlos Beltran before he could put on the uniform pants. Notice I didn't say jersey because he put on the jersey on November 4th as part of the press conference. He didn't even get a chance to put on his pants for one day of spring training. That is part of the fallout from the sign-stealing scandal. Interesting to note, three managers now, the 2017 world champion, the 2018 world champion, and now the New York Mets. Houston, Boston, New York, three powerhouse organizations. My question for you is, what's next? Well, I'm going to answer it for you, and I'm going to tell you that MLB is going to continue its investigation. They're not going to stop. They have to continue to look into the New York Uh, Mets, the Boston Red Sox, and all 30 teams. They've only announced they're going to talk about the Red Sox. They're investigating the actions of the Red Sox during 2018. 
But what they're really doing is investigating every team because they need to have an announcement. They need to make sure that no one will ever come out and say, wait a minute, when I was on the blank team, I participated in the following sign-stealing scandal, the way Mike Fires did. Mike Fires is a name that has come up a lot in the last few days. He's the player who actually was not a source. He put his name to saying what went on in Houston. As a pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, he actually played for Houston, won a World Series in Houston, was on the team in 2017, was not offered a free agent contract, was upset, went public, said that the Astros participated in a trash can banging scheme. It started this entire investigation that has now resulted in one GM, three managers, and we don't know what else is going to happen. So what's the opinion around the game of Mike Fires? Well, guess who we heard from today? Jessica Mendoza decided to speak up. Jessica Mendoza, for those who don't know, she's on another network. She calls games on Sunday night. She's fine. It's fine. I generally watch games on mute because that's a better way to watch because I think that's better. But in any case, do you know what else she does on the side? She's a special advisor for the New York Mets. People have been saying that's a conflict of interest. The Los Angeles Dodgers did not allow Jessica Mendoza into the Dodgers clubhouse, not because she was a woman, but because she worked for the Mets. So the Dodgers did not want her in their clubhouse when she was preparing to call a Dodgers game during the course of last season. If I were running a team, I would not want Jessica Mendoza in my clubhouse either, having nothing to do with anything other than the fact that she works for another team. One of the absolutes in baseball, when you work for another team, you do not go into the other team's clubhouse. Not the end of the world. The Mets had been quiet until today, until Carlos Beltran parted ways, stepped down, got absolutely fired. But yet this morning, Jessica Mendoza went on a radio show and stated that she was very upset with this whole sign-stealing scandal and the way that it became public. That she disagrees with Mike Fires, the who was the whistleblower in this case. She has gotten scorched. I mean skewered, ratioed, any word you can think of that you don't know exactly what it means, I don't either. What I do know is it was bad enough that she got in trouble. And how do I know she got in trouble? Because she had to release a statement moments ago. First, she had said on the show that Mike Fires was wrong for speaking out. Then, get scorched, and guess what happened? I'm going to decode it for you right here on Nothing Personal and CBS Sports HQ. I thought it was important to clarify my earlier remarks, Jessica Mendoza said, about that sign-stealing situation in MLB. Most importantly, I feel strongly that the game of baseball will benefit greatly because this sign-stealing matter was uncovered. That's not what she said before. Cheating the game is something that needs to be addressed, and I'm happy to see that the league is taking appropriate action. That's not what she said before. The point I should have been much more clear on was this. I believe it's very critical that this news was made public. It's not what she said before. I simply disagree with the manner in which that was done. That's what she did say before. I credit Mike Fires for stepping forward. I'm going to say that again, but louder, just in case that you've got a hearing problem. 
I credit Mike Fires for stepping forward. No, she doesn't. She called him a whistleblower. Yet I feel that going directly through your team and or MLB first could have been a better way to surface the information. Blah, blah. In regards to the Mets, I want to make it extra clear. Not clear. Here's a word of advice when you're doing a statement in PR. The adjectives like extra. I want to make it extra clear. To be honest with you, I'd like to say blank. Well, when you start a sentence with to be honest, it means that every time you don't say that, you're not being honest. So don't ever start a sentence with to be honest. Don't ever say I want to make it extra clear. Everything you articulate should be crystal clear, should be beyond a reasonable doubt what you are trying to say. When you're in the media, that's your job, to communicate a point clearly. Yet, Jessica said, I want to make it extra clear that my advisor role with the team does not shape my opinion in any way, shape, or form on this matter. A misuse of any way, shape, or form, because an opinion doesn't really have a shape or a form. Probably doesn't even have a way. Here's my message, Jessica. I get why you had to do this statement. It really can't stink working for two organizations, right? You work for media, and then you also work for a team like the Mets. The Mets saw what you had done, and they made you do this statement. However, when you are told that you have to make a statement, and it's happened to me before, make sure that you put in that statement words that make it clear that you actually mean it. Not just that you're making extra clear, which by doing that, it's a straight walk back. What we teach people is when you have to clarify something that's been said, you use the word clarify, but then you reiterate the point that you were trying to make earlier, and the purpose of the statement is to clarify the exact same point. Mike fires as a whistleblower? Is that what we're saying? Are we willing to say that this is the same as what's going on in the real world, in the Me Too movement, in the what's going on with the trial with Harvey Weinstein where there are whistleblowers in the corporate world? No, Mike Fires was not a whistleblower. He was merely saying what every player in baseball knows, and that is every team is looking to steal signs. The Astros, Red Sox simply got caught. We'll see what comes next. What's coming next for me is a really fun topic. I'm super excited to get to talk about this because I, the way it works with nothing personal is that come up with the show, think about things I want to talk about, and then I talk about it with the producer, Matthew Coca, and then we have an argument about what we're going to talk about, and then I end up talking about exactly what I want to talk about, except when he's right, and then I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So it happened today with OBJ, and it happened in two ways. I was fascinated with Odell Beckham Jr. We've talked about him enough on this show that I'm going to call him O-B-J. Odell, 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 can you imagine? Coca, is it Odell or Odell? Odell Beckham Jr. O-B-J. So, You've heard on Nothing Personal us talk about the fact that uh, college football players and all college athletes are not allowed to get paid. We've talked about players who have actually gotten in trouble to have received money, favors, anything in kind, cars, suits, etc. We've also talked about that they're looking at changing the law where college athletes can get compensated for their name, image, or likeness. That's just a fancy way of trying to get players' money in college because players make so much money for their colleges, they ought to be paid something. 
well, as a president of a team, I made a lot of money for the owner. As a player for a team, you make a lot of money for the team in the league. You get paid what you get paid. If you're not allowed to get paid, if you're a young player in baseball, you can only get paid the minimum. Just because you're great, Aaron Judge was at the minimum. Coming in second in the MVP race, winning rookie of the year, Pete Alonso with the Mets, breaking the home run record. You don't automatically get to get paid a certain amount. There are rules. The rules in college state that college players may not be paid money. Well, Beckham Jr. went to the national championship game, which took place on Monday night, January 13th, between LSU and Clemson in a game won by LSU. What happened after the game is what fascinated me. Odell Beckham Jr. was seen handing out money to the LSU players. At first, LSU came out when this was made public and caught on camera, and it came out and we were told, hey, this was not real money. It was monopoly money. It was fake currency. I'd like to know the PR person who came up with that thought. I want to know who watched the video, who reports to the president at LSU, who thought it was right for them to say, hey, the money was fake. That makes no sense to me. How could they go with that story? Guess what happened after? They changed their story when they realized that the money, in fact, was real. They immediately reported this giving of money from Beckham Jr. to the players, to the SEC, which is a college uh, conference, and to the NCAA. This is a violation. Yet Coke is all over me saying it's ridiculous. Why is it that Beckham is being scrutinized like this? He's talking about race. He's talking about Beckham. He's talking about the fact that we are all over him for no reason. This is not a big deal. Why isn't there more attention on Julian Edelman, the wide receiver for the New England Patriots, who happens to be white, who got arrested for a misdemeanor jumping on a car in a drunken fit? Why were we discussing Beckham more than Edelman? Because it's what you all want to hear. Because it's more interesting. It's like watching a car crash. How come on YouTube the most views go to the craziest stuff ever? Because you can't turn away. Beckham is like Christmas and Hanukkah wrapped in one. He's like the sign-stealing scandal. He's like Jerry Jones. It writes itself. Don't tell CBS this. Don't tell my agent. Don't tell anyone that these shows just write themselves because I tell them it takes 12 to 24 hours to prepare for one show. But the content, it keeps on coming. As we're having the conversation, word comes in that OBJ has been arrested. Breaking news, an arrest warrant has been put out for Odell Beckham Jr. because he gave fake money to LSU players in the locker room after the LSU victory. No. That's not why he was arrested and why there's a warrant. It's way better than that. He slapped a police officer on the ass. And I don't mean the kind of ass slapping that goes on. Wait a minute, can I say ass? Mikey, can I say ass? I think I can. All right, I think I can. Well, I once said f**k and they had to take it completely out of the show. Oh, I once said bleep and they had to take it completely out of the show. And it was a quote. But I'll tell you. It's not the type of ass slap that we do in baseball. Every time you go by or a good play happens and you just slap him right on the tuchus. No, 
this, if you look at the video, was a little worse because this cop was telling the LSU players that they were not to smoke inside the clubhouse. It was a no smoking locker room to which I was told by people both on Twitter and as my producer, well, they had just won the championship. The coach was smoking a cigar. Why can't that cop just get out of there? Tell him to get out of the locker room. Well, here's my answer. That's his job. His job is to make sure that the rules are followed. Here's what your job is as a civilian. Don't touch a police officer ever, even as a joke. There's a warrant now to arrest him for simple battery. No, as some over, over, um, what's the word, over rambunctious producers here at CBS HQ, they said, oh, is he going to jail? No, he's not going to jail. According to police, might I add, this was such a serious ass slap. According to police, the lieutenant who was slapped momentarily, quote, wanted to retaliate by punching the offender. Later identified as Beckham, but didn't. He also considered arresting Beckham right there at this moment, but decided against it due to the jovial atmosphere of the locker room. The sworn statement suggests the officer later realized who had slapped him after a cell phone video of the encounter had gone viral. The officer then indicated that he was interested in pressing charges. Let me explain what that actually means. The way it works in when you're in a criminal case, not a civil case, a criminal case is not between two people. A criminal case is between the state and a person. It's the state versus Odell Beckham Jr., so what happens is you have an arrest. The police catch you. They catch you doing something. You can be arrested if you have reasonable or probable cause to make an arrest. And then that person is brought into the station and booked. And then there's something called an arraignment, which is before a judge. Or you can go to a judge first and get a warrant for somebody's arrest. It's like what happens if you don't pay child support. We've seen a bunch of athletes do this and actors denying that they have to pay child support. And so there's an arrest warrant, meaning you go to a judge, you get a piece of paper, you go find the person and you show them the warrant for their arrest and you take them in to the police station for processing. When the police officer says that he wants to press charges, what he's saying is that he's willing to be the witness and to be the arresting officer in a case done by the prosecutor. That police officer does not get to decide whether or not Odell Beckham Jr. will go to trial. Will he get charged? Will he get convicted? Will he go to prison, jail? No. All the arresting officer gets to decide is whether he or she or they is or are willing to be the arresting officer and cooperate and be the witness and press charges, quote unquote, in a criminal case. A little sidebar. A civil case is totally different. A civil case is between two people. If Odell Beckham hits somebody and that person falls down and falls on a lit cigar in the jovial atmosphere of the clubhouse and the lit cigar goes right on his backside and it burns through his pants and he's got a scar like Judd Nelson has in the breakfast club for when his father would put out cigarettes on him trying to compare his life to Molly Ringwald's. 
God, that's lost on so many people here. It's so sad. But in any case, he could then press civil charges for battery against Odell Beckham. In that case, you're not charging Beckham with a crime. You are trying to get money from him. Civil is money. Criminal is your freedom. It's a big difference. Don't forget it. Oh, we have to spend some time on this movie. I'm reviewing a movie called Parasite. And I, I admit it. I, am, uh, I, I speak English. I speak some French. I can say a few words in Spanish. I can say obrigado in Portuguese. I don't speak Korean. I can... No, I can't speak any Japanese. I've tried to speak Japanese with Ichiro. It's never worked. I tried to figure out how to pronounce the name of the director of this movie, the producer, the writer... He's a successful South Korean filmmaker. It's a movie called Parasite. His name looks like Bong Joon-ho, but I guarantee you it's not pronounced Bong Joon-ho. But for purposes of this conversation, I want to focus on the movie, the brilliance of the movie. The fact, I'm going to start at the end, this movie has made it to my top 100. It's the first movie I've seen this year that is going into my top 100. This is the best movie, obviously, I've seen this year because none other is in my top 100. This is the perfect movie. And there's not one word of English. And it doesn't matter. When I gave you my review of the Oscar nominations, I told you that it would be wise to ignore the one-inch subtitles and to just put on your reading glasses and go to the movie theater and watch the movie. And the interesting part is, by 10 minutes into this movie... I forgot there were subtitles. The principal photography is perfect. Every shot, perfect. It's a movie about a family, a father, a mother, a son, and a daughter, and how that family gets intertwined with another family who also has a father, mother, son, and daughter. It's a movie about class, and I don't mean class like Jacqueline Bissett and Rob Lowe. I mean class as in the class system. You see, the movie that's the focus of Parasite is about a family who lives in a basement apartment. A family that lives in an apartment that the way they fumigate and get rid of their bugs is to open the window so when the street is being fumigated by the government, the fumigation fumes will come into their apartment and kill the bugs that live there. It's the kind of apartment that when there's flooding in a Korean rainstorm that may or may not be rain, spoiler alert, that their apartment would get flooded. It's a movie about a family who thinks that money is all that's missing from their happiness. It's a movie about a family who believes that they have an opportunity to take advantage of a gullible, gullible rich family. And then it becomes a movie that the second half is simply stunning. It is incomprehensible to me that somehow all of the spoilers of Parasite have not been given. If you can watch this movie by chance without being spoiled, that is the way to do it. Because the bottom line is that the second half of the movie will blow your socks off. I like to say it'll knock your knickers off. If you're not wearing knickers, then just your socks. But when you watch this movie, make sure you do not discuss it with anyone who hasn't seen it. You can give them the basic principles. Talk about the two families. Talk about the perfect acting. Talk about the perfect editing, the perfect script, the perfect acting. But don't discuss how the movie plays out in perfection the way that it does. 
Parasite. Check it out. So I'm moving on to another subject. And what I love about doing this show is I, I, I want you to know how we operate. We don't actually do anything specifically and then edit it, right? So I'm giving you a straight 45 minutes. And I'm doing something that uh, basically telling you that this is our show. When we record it, things are happening live. So while I was giving the review of Parasite, I see Matthew Coca running around like a chicken without a head. Then I see Quinn Snyder, who I'm honored to work with here at CBS Sports HQ, and she's giving me pieces of paper as soon as I turn back to camera five. The over-the-shoulder camera, if you're watching, where I have a box above me, that's camera six. And then I'm handed a piece of paper, and I'm on my document, and in big letters, more Beltran Astro news next. Tweets are reportedly Beltran's niece on Twitter. I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, of course I do. We're talking about burner accounts. We're talking about the fact that Carlos Beltran was actually tweeting stuff this entire week, and he was being accused of it. There was a thought it was happening, and then it came out that it may be his niece, it may be him, we don't know. So, first tweet. I'm told to stay quiet, but I refuse. Sorry, T.O. What does T.O. mean, Coca? The, oh, my God. Everyone in the studio just said uncle. I say uncle. I'm told to stay quiet, but I refuse. Sorry, T.O. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman wore devices that buzzed on inside their right shoulder from the hallway video guy. Let's get it all out now. I have pictures from the locker that I will keep for a rainy day. Altuve didn't want his shirt torn off, if I remember. Oh, my God. Oh, my. This can't. Okay, hold on. Let me give this perspective. This is coming in. Hi, I'm Walter Conkright in Cronkite. This is a major moment in news. We are about to have a man land on the. Oh, no, I'm not Walter Cronkite. This is just sports. But, boy, this is big. Do you remember when Jose Altuve hit a walk-off home run? I remember like it was yesterday because I love Jose Altuve because he's 5'5". He's my size. I'm just like him. When I met him at an all-star game in Miami, we had a conversation. He's the only athlete ever other than Mishu at the Barnum Bailey Circus who I could look at eye to eye. So we had a nice talk. And I remember he hit a game-winning home run, and they wanted to rip his shirt off, which is something that started with Derek Dietrich. Right? Remember him as a Marlin? You ripped his shirt off, and underneath you saw like Adonis? So Altuve did not want his uniform ripped off. Then he was asked about it after the game. I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm not even being fed this. It's not like I'm acting like I remember it. I totally do remember it. Jose Altuve said, my wife is embarrassed when that happens. Go check the video. Check it, Coca. He said, I don't like when my uniform gets ripped off because I don't like showing off my body. Now we are hearing from a Carlos Beltran's niece, or is it Carlos Beltran, or is it simply a troller on Twitter? We are hearing that the reason Altuve didn't want his uniform ripped off is because he had some sort of device underneath his uniform. Let me just take a minute here and say the following. The commissioner of Major League Baseball right now is having a meeting with his head of labor. Newsrooms around the country are figuring out whether to go breaking news. Are we going to cut into programming to give this tweet by so blessed one 
QT, are we going to give this credibility? How are we going to make sure that this is good enough to go with? On my show, nothing personal. I can go with whatever I want. But if I'm going to go on CBS Sports HQ, I'm going to need to make sure this is more than just a report. Because if this is true, then we are now seeing what will become history. There will have to be penalties to players. There will have to be a negotiation with the union. There will have to be discussions of vacating championships. All of the things that baseball wanted to avoid will have to be taken head on. There must be a buzz in the newsroom right now because if this turns out to be real, then all of the hyperbole that Randy and I, Randy who works here, he and I are the same age, all of the hyperbole that we discussed is going to be wrong. Where we said sign stealing is not the biggest scandal. Where we said it's definitely the Black Sox. It's definitely Pete Rose. It's PEDs. If we find out that players were wearing instruments underneath their uniforms, even to me, that's gone too far. And for me, nothing goes too far. I am shocked by this revelation. Jose Altuve, forget the fact of the money that he's guaranteed for the performance that he has. I'm not willing to say that performance is because of any buzzer underneath his shirt. I'm not willing to say he wore the buzzer. Do you know how many people would know? Can I bring you inside a clubhouse? I want to tell you the number of people who see players get undressed. The owner, the president, the GM, the coaches, the trainers, the clubbies, the chefs, the people who work for the clubby, the media. It is nakedness everywhere. It is nudity galore. It's shirts coming off. If I knew that a player would not get undressed in the main clubhouse, I would immediately know we had a problem. I wouldn't say it was body dysmorphia. I wouldn't say it was some sort of shyness. I would say we better find out why this player is unwilling to get undressed in front of everybody else. I'm not talking about showering with everybody else. I'm perfectly fine if you don't want, want to get peed on in the shower. And yes, that happens. That's for another topic, another time. They actually do that to each other like a bunch of children. No, I've never showered with the players. No, I never would. I actually showered in the clubhouse two times, uh, and, I, and it was horrifying. I was, it was not during a game. It was not even, it was hours and hours before a game, but there were some clubbies in the clubhouse, and it was because of a workout or something I had done. And uh, I thought about what went on in that shower, and I decided that just wearing flip-flops probably wasn't enough to protect myself. But if there is something going on with Altuve, it's going to be major. This calls into question every guaranteed contract. Like Josh Donaldson, what do you do? We touched on Josh Donaldson yesterday. We talked about the fact that he got $92 million from the Minnesota Twins. But I didn't really get into detail enough about the fact two things. One, he only got $92 million because he couldn't get 100 or 110. He took the four years from Minnesota, even when he didn't want to play in Minnesota, no matter what he says at the press conference. But what does it mean now for that third base market? What do you do? I'm going to get to that as soon as I tell you that when we talk about guaranteed money, Anytime you pay guaranteed money to a player, you are paying for what you believe will be his performance going forward. If you have a player who you signed to a guaranteed contract who you don't know is doing PEDs and then gets suspended, I believe those contracts should not be guaranteed anymore. 
but the union is too strong for me. If you sign a player like Josh Donaldson and it gets discovered, and it won't, but if it gets discovered that Josh Donaldson gets suspended because he had something under his jersey, I don't believe you should have to pay, not just during the suspension when you don't have to pay, but you should be able to void that guaranteed contract. So now that he has signed, what does that mean for the third base market? Every day we read about Nolan Arenado. Every day, Chris Bryant, all two third basemen who could be traded. Nolan Arenado for Colorado signed a $260 million extension just a year ago. Chris Bryant has a one-year deal for $18.5 million. The question is, for the teams who lost out on Donaldson, Braves are the number one team who lost out on Donaldson. There were other teams involved. Could the Dodgers really use a third baseman? I could argue. Is it possible that the Phillies could use a third baseman? I could argue. So do teams now go after Arenado and Bryant? I want to stop that discussion. When you run a team in baseball, you know exactly which free agents you're going to go after. If I know as a team that I'm not going after even attempting to sign Donaldson because I know he's going to get three or four years, I know very well that it doesn't matter where he signs or for what he signs. I'm willing to make a trade for Bryant or Arenado having nothing to do with the Donaldson signing. What we do in the media and what happens often with fans is they believe there's causation. When one transaction happens, it causes another to happen. In reality, each transaction is solely independent. The Washington Nationals thought they were going to sign Josh Donaldson. Well, they ended up signing Starlin Castro. They ended up signing Howie Kendrick. And they ended up signing Azrubel Cabrera. They will play third base. That was their plan B. They don't then all of a sudden become players for Bryant or Arenado. If they wanted Bryant or Arenado, they would have gone after them to begin with. They focused on Donaldson. They didn't get him. Why would teams rather do free agency versus trade? In free agency, it's money. In trade, it's money and assets. You have to give players up. End of the story is it won't make a difference. So we have a uh, Astros settlement that happened today that we should quickly discuss. We talked about arbitration earlier in the show, and one of the things we talked about is that when they have arbitration, teams are going file to go. When you exchange numbers, you go to arbitration. Springer filed at 22.5, Astros filed at 17.5. We discussed the fact that is a very big spread. It will require a lot of attention by the Astros. Well, I sent out a tweet earlier today that the Astros, I thought, were filed to go, and it turns out they're filed to Spelunk. Do you know what spelunking is? Because Coca did not. Filing to Spelunk. It's on at David P. Sampson on the Twitter. Spelunking is when you go cave dwelling with a little light on your hat. It's called spelunking. The Astros caved. They can't handle arbitration. Listen, go get a manager and a GM, but you can outsource arbitration. Don't give in to a player who created an artificial midpoint by filing so high, knowing that the Astros had all these distractions, and the Astros, uh, I'm putting my finger in my mouth for hook, line, and sinker. The Astros fell for it and settled at $20 million. Totally outrageous. Total cave. Total spelunk. Okay, we're going to finish up with two things. One will be a wait to see, and one will be a pick of the day. 
I'm going to start with the pick of the day. I know we lost yesterday. I can't believe the Raptors were able to beat the Thunder so convincingly. I was watching that game upset that I was losing an NBA game, but I'm not going to stop. I hate to bet against Milwaukee because they're the best team in basketball going to the finals in June, if not for a big, big upset. But for whatever reason, the Celtics lost last night by 13, I think 13 points, and now they're getting 9.5 on the road, second game of a back-to-back in Milwaukee. This is a perfect gambling trap. Everyone is jumping on the Bucks, saying to themselves, without a question, Milwaukee will cover this spread. I say, go against everyone. Be like Jay Trotter and let it ride. Find out who everyone likes and go the other way. You got a brother? No, that's a line from the movie. Celtics plus nine and a half. Wait to see. I want to show people this. If you're watching, I appreciate it. If you're downloading, subscribing. I can't show it to you, but here on my device, my wait to see is Carlos Beltran will not manage a game for the Mets in 2020. Listen, God is my witness. Coke is my witness because Coke gets the rundown. Carlos Beltran will not manage a game for the Mets in 2020. I am taking credit for that, but it's not good enough for you on this show. I'm ending double nickel show 55 by telling you Hensley Mullins, their current bench coach, or Eduardo Perez, who is the son of Tony Perez. I've known Eduardo for decades. Phenomenal man. He would be a great manager. But remember, he was the second choice. Is it okay to take over as manager when you know you were the second choice behind Beltran? Guess what? When you have a chance to manage in baseball, when you have a chance to become the head of an organization in New York, you know very well what you do. You say to yourself, this is just business. I'm taking the job. It's nothing personal. 